So Maddie heads for the kitchens, but pauses when he feels eyes on his back, turning to only see the tapestry of Martin. And he explains what he's doing, why he attacked Vich. Vich had been mocking his family and apologizing to Martin and promising that he will become a better mouse. And he says something that absolutely fucking destroyed me. And we are in chapter, what, five? Yeah. The, the, it, it's, it's like this book has, a, I feel like this book has it a does. stronger start than like, like Red the Ball very, Ball. very or, beginning or rather not Red of Ball, this like, book, like the first like three chapters, it's kind of like, okay. And then it's just immediately we get a line like, I could feel you watching me, Martin. I'm just on my way to do penance in the kitchens, but you probably know that. I didn't mean to disobey my parents or cause them unhappiness. You can understand that, can't you? I had to fight Vich because he said things about my father. He thought I was scared of him, but I am the son of a warrior and I could not let him insult my family. If my father knew the truth of it all, he would not have punished me, but, well, he's my father, you see. I can't explain things properly to him. You're different, Martin. You understand how I feel. Matameo shuffled his paws on the stones beneath Martin's never-changing expression. You know, sometimes you're just like my father. Look, I'm sorry. I'll try to be a better mouse. I promise not to fight or get into any more trouble or worry my parents again. Sometimes you're just like just my father boy. fucking kills me. Yes. Because, kid, you don't know how right you <laughs> but are. But also, um. it's the fact that Martin doesn't respond. Martin doesn't talk to him. Nope. Nope. He's awake. Of course he's not going to respond to him. That means Matthias doesn't talk to Maddie. Oh, good point. Matthias oh. doesn't respond to Maddie when Maddie tries to talk to him. Oh. I'm ma- making you feel sad now. <laughs> Welcome to my my kingdom. <laughs> the kingdom of Sandis. And then um and Maddie also makes a comment I'm about like here. I wish there was another great war I'm then I'd show them. <laughs> They'd be glad of young mice that could fight then. He's such, He's such a, a kid. kid. You probably have to give me a medal or something like that. This the smile upon the face of the tapestry warrior seemed to be gentler as the immobile eyes watched the small habit-clad figure descend the steps of Cavern Hole. I love when they focus, though, on Martin the tapestry because there's just so much life mm-hmm. given to that representation. Mm-hmm. I... It really makes him feel like he's still like, it, it, like uh, even like the dreams and stuff like that are important. But like the tapestry is there. Everyone can see the tapestry. Everyone knows he's there yes. keeping an eye on because him. He's their security blanket. And it's blanket. not even just like Martin is the spirit of the tapestry. Martin is the spirit of Redwall. Redwall mm-hmm. is. I feel like to a point that like, I feel like to a point that he has become more than like the mouse Martin was one thing. And the Ma- the Martin who comes from the tapestry, who is the spirit, is more than just it is, who Martin I, was. Personally, this is my personal headcanon. Um, the Martin spirit that we see as we get into like the later times of the books, the Martin mm-hmm. spirit that we end up seeing is the culmination of 
everything that has happened to the Abbey, every person who has lived at the Abbey and defended it and had good lives there. And it is this just culmination of everything that he wanted for the Abbey and everything that it has become. Yes. And it is... Agreed. Powerful. I'm somebody who believes in places having spirits like that. Because Mm. if enough happens, like you've been, you've been in old churches, right? I, yes, I have been actually like, I I was going to say, I was like, I am a Christian. I am definitely aware of something like that. Like like walking into someplace like the Sagrada Familia or even better is like walking through like those really old small churches, the ones that don't get as much attention or love from the tourists. But like when you walk into those little places like that, you can feel the love in them. You can feel the the yeah. the history there. The people who. That's why I struggle to be in old churches actually because, um, I pick up on energy like that really easily, and it is overwhelming. Being in any church does that to me actually. But old, the older a church is, the worse it gets, or the bigger, mm-hmm. like older or massive. And then I'm just like, nope, I gotta leave. Mm-hmm. Why I can't go to church with people. <laughs> Too much for me. <laughs> you don't want to take me to church anyway. Fair I don't make fun of things. <laughs> Not in a mean way, but <laughs> I'm that person. I'm very irreverent. Um, but mm-hmm. I say, as I'm trying to convert to Judaism, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> like, let's well, get back to the story. We, we are on a tangent. The, city honestly, today. these Good tangents gosh. make more sense than the last time. <laughs> That's true. We are like at least mostly sticking tangentially but yeah, to yeah, there's the plot, a church so. in my hometown. It is the oldest black church in Georgia. And I've been there. And the way even being outside of that building is so much. There is so much that is still in that building because they do still use it as a church. And it is mm-hmm overwhelming in one of the best ways like i cannot step foot inside of that church because i will probably just start crying um but being (laughs) outside of that church you can feel it and redwall and martin feel like that to me reading whenever like martin does something in these books or like when people are going on their fucking riddle quests (sighs) so yeah (laughs) I don't know. I really like Redwall as a concept. I wish that it was better, but also it is as good, I think, as Brian could think to write it. <laughs> I think for what it is, for the time it was written, I think it is a very good I I still like the thing. books that kind of stray away from Redwall. But I understand why Agreed. the first bunch of them are set in Redwall. Um, yeah, getting it so established. now we move on. Friar Hugo is still king of the kitchen. But now he has a dock leaf held in his tail (laughs) rather than a dandelion. And he is directing the feast prep with gusto. He is just telling people what to do, directing everybody, swiping the dock leaf over things, like, and just, like, making sure, like, hey, you need to whip that, you need to do this, do this, can you go get this for me? Fucking... How is he keeping track of everything? I am amazed. I 
love Friar Hugo. Same. I love him so much. But also, like, speaking speaking of tangents, there was one point in the story where they go, like, Hugo directs someone to use nutmeg. And I was like, hold up. When was nutmeg brought to England? Because nutmeg is not, like, a spice that you find in England. And so I did a quick Google, and it wasn't introduced to Britain until 1512-ish, when the Portuguese began buying slash stealing it from India. And I know it's a fantasy book, but I do find stuff like this fun. It's kind of like guessing the time period these are loosely set on. And of course, a lot of it is fantasy, wibbly wobbly, like in in the Redwall world, where do they get nutmeg? Where is it grown? Is there a fantasy India? <laughs> Question mark? It's, it's, it's stuff like that that I kind of find fun. It's not really super relevant, but it was just that little detail that made me go, hold on a minute. Um, but yes, back to the feast at Since hand. Maddie on a quiz, like the minute he sees Maddie, he's just like, all right, you need to go and get more strawberry cordial because we need twice as much as what we've already got. And the young mouse is just, he's happy to escape to the cellars. He's like, oh God, this place is chaos. The old alcoholic Ambrose has run of the cellar now. He's just, he's just there. And he nearly chokes when on like the tasting bowl of like alcohol that he has when Maddie accidentally scares him. It's so like, funny because he does, like, like Madame Mayo doesn't mean to Maddie do it. And it's just like, <laughs> yeah, boy. <laughs> Matt's like, and he directs sorry. him down to the cordial and Maddie finds his friends, Tim, Tess, and Sam. And they're all sipping on the cordial. Um, They've busted into a keg and they're using like hollow reeds as straws to like sip it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's a very cute little interaction because it's just like this. This is the fun kind of yeah. kids getting into trouble interaction. Like the, like this is such a kid mm-hmm. thing. Also, scrummy is such a fun British word. I, it's like like some of the British words we like to make fun of, but scrummy is a very good word. Yep. Thank you, Britain. And they drink for a bit. <laughs> they get a little sickly because strawberry cordial is very sweet. Um, and it's like I get yeah. sick just thinking about it because I can't even drink soda anymore. <laughs> me over here, like, give me the acidic sweet, sippy sippy sippy. Yeah, yeah. but you're ADHD, so you yeah. need the caffeine too. So. Um, <laughs> And so they have to kind of, like, doze for a little while. Then once they've recovered, they help Maddie with his chore. They fill up the bottles. And when they go to leave, Ambrose, like, kind of wakes from, like, a nap and is like, I could have swore there were less of them. And then goes goes back to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, eh, whatever. They're getting the job done, right? Uh, And things are, like, in full (laughs) swing in the kitchen. Like, orders are flying fast and sharp. And he, like... Friar Hugo is still just like this, that, and the other. And then he sees the kids. He's like, ah, go get some cheeses for me. And there's this little bit with a mole who uh, Friar Hugo asks him to dig like a furrow through the marrow. (laughs) And I I must have been hungry the night I was writing this because the food just kept catching my attention. You said you'd never heard of marrow before and that it's a type of squash. And I'm over here like, I knew it was a squash. I knew. <laughs> because because <laughs> stop saying say it, say it, we're gonna keep laughing <laughs> <laughs> tell us squirrels how do you know what a marrow we hit learned was about it on friends at the table which is an actual play podcast mm. leave me alone mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> i bully you with the greatest love well they, they um, had an episode like recently like, a couple like 
December where they got to a place and they're like, oh yeah, this place is called Marrowfield because of the squash. <laughs> I was like, oh. See, the funny the the funny thing is though, like because I was doing research, the marrow is more egregious than the nutmeg is because marrow wasn't introduced into England or at least it wasn't documented in England until around the 1800s. Does Brian look like he cares about the accuracy of his food? He no. just wanted to put such a level of decadence into these books it is even yes. literally in interviews he has talked about this he's like i <laughs> wanted to put so um, much food into this shit anyway they go and get the cheeses but uh, i yeah. because of this really again struggle to to believe that matameo has never done any work because he seems excited to go roll cheese Okay, the thing, though, is that, like, rolling cheese, that's fun. That's a fun activity. There's a, a world of difference between rolling cheese and scrubbing pots and pans that's and floors. Like, there there are chores that are fun to do. Like, I, I know this might sound weird, but I genuinely enjoy sweeping. Like, sweeping is a chore that I enjoy doing. So I don't think of it as much of a chore. Um, but, like, if you ask me to, like, oh, well, now you have to get down and scrub the floors, it's like, eh, I don't want to. Ugh, I can't believe I have to go to work to get the floors moved up <laughs> the door for the stupid waxing guys. So, it's by Saturday. Abbot Mordolphus is making an abbot cake, and he's basing it off of, like, an older abbot's recipe. And, like, he's added a bunch of shit and, like, gets advice from Hugo to add red currant jelly to it. And so they call it the <laughs> red currant wall abbot cake. <laughs> it's very cute. Like, I love the little interaction between um, Hugo and Mordalphus here. Like, just getting this yeah. cake put together. And they spot Matthias heading off with, like, some fishing line. He's got, like, two poles. And uh, the abbot is like, oh, where are you going with that? And Matthias is like, we're supposed to go catch the fish like we do every year. <laughs> and then he also, with wicked glee, tells poor Friar Hugo that Basil Stag Hare has arrived and is already set to eat them out of house and home. And both the abbot and Matthias flee to Hugo's outraged protests and swearing off, letting the hare anywhere near the food. He's like, he will not come into my kitchen. He will not. I will not be having it. No. No, fuck this. He does not say fuck. Let Friar Hugo and, say and, fuck. And, I point something out like this. I actually hadn't read um, Matthias in a long Matthias. time. I read Matameo first. Sorry. <laughs> you did um, the same Rebel. thing I did in the bloopers. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I hadn't read Redwall in a long time. I read Matameo first. And um, this, I think this is one of like the big reasons I don't like Basil, because in Redwall, I actually kind of liked a lot of his characterization. He's not as likable in Matameo in a lot of ways. In some ways, he, like his gluttony is played up a lot more in this book, I feel like. And he also kind of, he gets stuffier as he gets Most older. of the hairs do. Yeah, so like as he gets older and he gets stuffier, he's a less enjoyable character. So like my first impression of him is poor Hugo being like, oh no, oh god, oh hell, no, no, no. So it's like, oh, mm. but and yes. then of course we cut. <laughs> oh, also, sorry, one more note. 
Speaking of reading Madame Mayo, I distinctly remember being on the treadmill at the Y while reading this for the first time. And this was back like at towards the end of 2019. Like I remember reading Hugo just being like, no, he shall not come in my kitchen and like being on the treadmill <laughs> reading that. It's one of those like very specific memories that I have of reading, rereading the book. Fucking amazing. When I was doing it for a little while. All right. And then, and then a panini okay. happened. Then the panini, the round, the round boy came in. So we cut anyway. to Cornflower <laughs> and Mrs. Churchmouse with roses. They are carrying like big bunches of them. And then they're accosted by the stomach on four legs hair who butters them up by taking the roses. And it just, I have to. This is a very Allow me, ladies, scene. what two handsome young fillies taught in all this shrubbery? Doesn't bear thinking about it. Basil stag hair at your service, Jills. Hmm, my my, is a cooking I smell? <laughs> ha, old Hugo burning something tasty, I'll be bound. I say, do you mind awfully if I leave you two raven beauties to carry all these lovely roses? Charming picture. Must go now investigating, don't you know? See you later. After tiffin, perhaps. Toodle pip now. It's just this very quick moment of Basil being there. I think you went through like four different accents Listen, there. Listen, I tried. You did, you did. Bravo, bravo. He just like um, <laughs> it, it did. It did make me laugh though. It's a very cute interaction. Like he goes into flirt, smells food, and immediately drops everything. Like nope. Uh, you know, promptly. Yeah, he gives them back the the roses, and they both just kind of fall over laughing as he heads for the kitchens. Uh, the moles, distracted from digging the roasting pit by his appearance, have been joking amongst themselves about how he'll get a good whack from Hugo with a ladle. Uh, Kit made a joke in the notes. About the word shrubbery, which is you must buy us a shrubbery, a shrubbery. Me, me. <laughs> we will never escape. Back at Saint Ninians, Slagger is passing out entertainers' clothing to his raggedy crew. A few, you know, complain because they're like, "Why do I have to do this?" And he threatens to drop them. Uh, he made them what they are, and he can leave them to be starving rabble again. A weasel called Hairbelly Do doesn't pick up I on the warning at all. Unemployed. What? Sorry, it just. Do you want me to leave you where I found you? Unemployed <laughs> in Greenland. <laughs> <laughs> and you, when I found you, you were so slobbering drunk, you couldn't buy brandy. <laughs> God. <laughs> so Hairbelly is just like multiple times just like questioning and like complaining and slagger shows him what happens to those who disobey him putting on his acting clothes lunar stellaris he's beautiful costume holy shit i love it when he puts on his acting persona because it's like now we're seeing like what an actually clever fox can his cape has got like uh stars and moons and it's just very beautiful and it matches his mask and he whisks around and into his rabble like he pulls a a magic trick basically appearing behind hair belly and running him through with a sword and everybody is like well all right no complaining do 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 uh-huh in the abbey yep yep Let's back get to back work. to work. And we cut back in the Abbey Pond. Matthias and Abbot Mordelphus have fished all night because they've been having some issues with the grayling population. They caught, like, two big graylings, but they release them because they're like, well, we don't want to, like, eat all of the big ones, then we won't have any more. And they finally catch mm-hmm. a big carp. 
Um, Warbeak is up bright and early and brings her flock to help the tired and winded pair. Uh, the abbot comments on her speech and Matthias defends her. Uh, and then wonders whose speech is worse, a sparrow or a mole. And I like, you made this comment about how it's like character development that he doesn't say something condescending here. It's just how she talks. And like, yeah. yeah. Obviously, they've got a much better relationship with the sparrow. And there's also obviously still some biases with the older members of the abbey towards the sparrow. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's a very... I like this scene a lot because, like, considering how bad much of the Sparrow was, like, he actually handles the Sparrow a lot better in this It's because we don't focus like, on Like, we don't... <laughs> exactly. Like, they're a little more background... They're, they're more supportive. They're more background. And, but even then, like, there's moments where, like, some of the Redwallers start to get a little, like, high on themselves. Like, yeah, like, she can't read. And Warbeak's like, uh, yeah, I can't read, but I'm not stupid. Give me one of your pieces of paper and I'll go, like help you yeah. out anyway you know like just it, it's good because like it shows that like even if she's not literate she's oh, yeah. still she's intelligent super like she's smart. intelligent she's a capable leader yeah. so constance arrives to pull in their boat and shares some words with matthias uh just like talking <laughs> they're friends yeah uh he matthias plans to take a bath and then take a nap and Alf has already fallen asleep on the bank. He's just asleep. Um, Matthias laments how seasons have passed, and she agrees that she's certainly not getting younger, though he hardly seems to age at all. Then she sends him on his way and carries the slumbering abbot to the dormitories. Matthias finds his in wife and son. Paw. She carries him in, in one, one paw. paw because badgers are fucking it's massive. It's so cute. And mice are tiny. And size is made up and The varied. size is made up and the badgers matter a lot. <laughs> um, yes. Basically, they don't care. Like, this would be a cartoon where, like, everyone goes off model every other episode. Like, I'm saving you. Be but, nice. Um, but, yeah. Be nice. No, I will pick on it. <laughs> no. He finds his <laughs> wife and son carrying baskets of flowers. Cornflower is delighted to have Maddie's help. And Matthias uses it as a chance to tease his grumpy son. He's like, oh, yeah, no, Maddie came up with that idea all on his own. Right, Maddie? And he's just grumpy. <laughs> he's like, mm. you know, it, it's, it's a very good, cute interaction between father it and is. son. <laughs> like, like this, this just like the, the chapter starts out really negatively. But this, this whole, in, these interactions, just like these characters having a good time together, setting up and like, I can feel the bustle yeah. of this place. I can feel the pre-celebration preparation and it, it makes it feel warmer and familial, communal. Like it turns around, but the, the, the bad vibes to make it like this is the red wall that everyone loves. This is the community. Yeah. It is. Coming together. So the moles put the finishing touches on the roasting pit, roasting each other while they're at it. I'm going to fight you. Um, uh, Hugo makes plans to roast the carp uh, and chases off Winifred the otter, who's looking at it rather hungrily. She suggests, what if we got like some shrimp as a garnish? And he's like, get away. I've counted all the scales on this fish. Uh, if you're going to if you're gonna go, though, I think... Um, I, I don't know, two-something amount of shrimp. Like, a lot of fucking shrimp. Doesn't he say, like, doesn't he say, like, a peck? I think he says a peck. Or am I mixing that up with something else? Hold 
page turning. We both we both grab our books. <laughs> Let's see. Dust of the duck leaf. Have a cake. Two nets full for a decent garnish. Nets full. Okay. Where I don't know where you got from? a peck. That must from. be from somewhere. It must be from something else I read recently. <laughs> so Sam and his mom are collecting honey, and like the way that the honey is described, I'm like, I want to put my face in it. <sighs> Brian and food. Oh. Again, like sometimes I gripe about the feast scenes, but really this man does know. It's like he is the he is the Miyazaki of writing. Honestly, food. holy shit! Um, I want somebody to animate a f- Redwall feast like it's a Miyazaki movie, please. I yes. would just die. Yes, yes, yes. Um, Basil and Ambrose are getting plastered in the cellars, and the little Dibbin Rolo has unfortunately, or hilariously. Taken to singing his own version of the drinking ballads the two are belting out. And his mom hates it. <laughs> it's very cute. She's just like, would you two please stop? And Rollo's over here like, free, free, free versing. Is that, He's just like, free versing. Um. <laughs> I strangle a snake and wet his throat. I wrestle a dragon and steal his coat. I wallop a snake with an old rock cake. <laughs> Very cute. She's just like, go stop that. Stop listening to those dreadful songs. Strangling dragons and swinging beer. Where will it all end? (laughs) And then we're back with Maddie and he's uh, trying to like arrange roses, but he keeps getting like pricked by the thorns and having to pull them out. And it just looks a mess. So Tess is like helping him. And then Vich is like sniggering at him, causing trouble, you know, being a jerk off to the side and so Tess is the one who gives him his comeuppance this time and she's like bitch there's a wasp on your butt and then yeah it's a very great scene and then I just love it smacks him with a rose stem and she hits him a bit harder than like she intended to and he howls in pain and cornflower comes over uh and like is told oh he there was a wasp on him. I think he got stung with by the wasp. I tried to get it off, but I couldn't. And she's like, oh, so he I should go to the-, the infirmary, but he actually just ends up running off crying. Um, and then yeah. Cornflower sends them both away, worried there might be more wasps about. So they just run off to go shrimping with Tim and the otters, because that's where Tim has been this whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I mean, like, technically, Matameo did do as he promised. He stayed until his mom yep. dismissed him. Uh, and I love Tess <laughs> so much. I love her very much. She's a, She's good, a very character. good character. I this dislike. Is, this is one of those. I dislike that yeah. both uh, her mom and Maddie's mom. They're both just like they're going to get married, and it's like stop that. I completely, <laughs> I completely miss that too. Like I was just so. I was so focused on getting the notes down, and my brain was just like, skip, skip this. Not important. It's just. What a lively young pair, she said aloud. Mrs. Churchmouse arrived, carrying a pansy and king cup bouquet. Yes, but you watch your Maddie. He'll let her win. He's very fond of my little Tess. Bless them. That's the way it should be, Cornflower nodded, smiling. Okay, so they don't explicitly say it. That's probably why my brain just didn't register it, because, you know, my I, I don't yeah. pick up on it. And then we get like to that. the point... Where I realized the Yu-Gi-Oh card was in my book. 
I love this little note. Like, there's just an entire ramble in the notes. This about, is related like, to nothing. This is related I was flipping to my nothing. pages idly while the ADHD brain weasels had me flipping between different tabs. And apparently, at some point when I was younger, I did try and reread Madame Mayo. So fucking you, Eocard. <laughs> Fun fact: I only own one Yu-Gi-Oh card, and it's uh, I think it's Cartoon Dark Magician nice. Girl. It's one of the Dark Magician Girls because, like, the only Yu-Gi-Oh monsters I really, really love are Gay. the Dark Magicians because <laughs> I love their designs. Gay. Guys, shut up! Shut up! Shut up! <laughs> Listen, if you liked Dark Magician Girl. <laughs> As a young girl, you gay now. I'm sorry. Don't make the rules. That's just how it is. If you grow up, if you grow up wanting to date Goliath and having a crush on the Dark Magician Girl, you might be afraid. <laughs> no. <laughs> so back at Saint Ninian's, uh, Slagger prepares his crew uh, to go to Redwall and you know trick them. He leaves two behind to watch the chain slaves, uh, which is Three Claws the Weasel and Bag Eye the Stoat. While in a small, small interjection. You can notice that later on in the notes, I just stopped naming the minions because it, it doesn't really matter. Doesn't. Like, so, like, I just give up after some point. So when they, we stop naming them, you can tell I just realized, oh, these guys don't matter. Because it's not even like with Clooney's minions where the names actually did no, matter. These don't. guys don't matter. So while inspecting the now comically dressed crew and he's, like, fixing them and, like, making sure they look appropriately, like, goofy... Uh, he barks the order for them to drop all of their weapons. And they hesitate because they don't like going someplace that they've heard so much shit about. Not having weapons. Um, but then Slagger threatens to kill them with any weapons he finds on their person. And so we get the fun trope of just way too many weapons appearing out of nowhere. I love this trope. It's such a good trope. It's very and good. And I'm ignoring your pun. You can go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going go to read fuck it. Yourself. Um He finds on their person they drop a killer collection I'm of weapons. You. I'm I'm printing out the divorce papers now. And I'm gonna send them in the mail. You're gonna get them in like I don't know, a month probably, because the mail service in the United States is currently fucked. <laughs> Anyway, satisfied, he orders ten of them to pull, the rest to push, and to steadily take the cart and make their way to the abbey. He orders no one to talk. Do not talk to anybody. If spoken to, ham it up. Act the goat. Do not react like they know Vich. Like, do not act like they know him whatsoever. They need to have manners. They need to talk to the, like, if they need to treat the ladies, like, nicely. They need to eat nicely. They need to drink nicely they need to behave they need to act good until the time is right to steal the dibbons and it's revealed that he plans to use a sleeping drug on the abbey dwellers and one minion asks if they're all asleep why not take Redwall for themselves and slagger confesses that he thinks the place is bad luck um remembering the failure of those who came before him warriors with true armies and well-trained fighters not a ragtag bundle of slavers there's not a lot of them there's like Mm-mm. and i made a note here that like this is why i really like S- slagar so much he knows his strengths exactly he knows what he can do and what he can't and he knows the abbey is not someplace that he can take on he remembers yes yeah. 
you know, because he was there. And, like, he's mythologized the Abbey in, like, the eight years since Clooney tried to take it. Because, like, he was a kid when that happened. So it's, Mm -hmm. like, twisted up in his his mind and is, like, half-remembered. And now... Mm -hmm. Everybody is really nervous to not have their weapons. They continue to pester Slagger, mostly Halftail, and he warns them of Matthias. And when ha- like Halftail is like, oh, this is probably like a badger, and Slagger's no he- he's a mouse. And when Halftail learns this, and that he has a magic sword, he snarks about it a little, saying he could use a magic sword. Enraged, Slagger orders the cart to stop. He says, no one is to touch the sword. They are to steal the children. And that's it. Anything else will ruin the plan. The magic sword is no good to him. He does not want anything to do with it. He doesn't want anything to do with the Abbey. He doesn't want anything to do with any of that. He wants to steal the children and leave. With the mm-hmm. And then he's like, who told y'all to stop the cart? Keep moving. <laughs> with the cart rolling again, he controls... With the cart... Cajoles. With the cart rolling again, he cajoles the group. They'll be rich when they sell the slaves. No worries. The Redwallers are too noble and too honest to understand his sly and twisted mind. And when asked where they're going to sell the slaves, he tells the crew, much to their dismay, the kingdom of Malkaris. And he's not wrong. If they allowed other critters into Redwall, they'd have, like, a wider worldview of things. And, like, early in some of the books, they imply that, like, maybe there are good rats out there or good weasels, etc. But the thing is, is that Brian has, and I've said this before, Brian has set this world up where it is nature over nurture. No matter how noble you try to be, you are always doomed to follow the path that is set out for your species. I can't wait until we read Outcast of Redwall. Oh, we are going to have so many words oh, to say. So many words. It's 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 frustrating because it's like, because it's the thing is is it's you, not so black and white. Like the world and people are not so black and white. Nature and nurture mm-hmm. both have things to do with the way people are. Because mm-hmm. yes, there are times where somebody can be raised completely like they are they are treated well they are not abused etc 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 and they will still you know do bad things yep it happens but But often choice they choose the world is not so black and white as to just be one Mm -hmm. or the other it is a mix but these books are written for children and Mm -hmm. as we have said before Brian wrote very black and white good and evil tropes that have roots in not great things. And now, speaking of the realm of nightmares, we are introduced to the purple-robed Nadaz, the voice of the host, who leads his fellow rats downwards into the depths of a deep cave to a large limestone statue of a polecat. He chants to it and reveals that this is Malkaris. Fucking this first bit of this chapter where it just completely we are seeing a whole different setting. 
It's really, it's a really good setup though. Cause like a lot of people don't appreciate how terrifying caves are like actual deep caves, dark caves until you've been in one. They need to read more cave based creepypastas. <laughs> <laughs> or you need to live in California where like two of your big school field trips takes you to big ass caves that you just get to go like walking down Or live down in into. Appalachia where it's just riddled with limestone caves. You want to know why people <laughs> go missing in Appalachia? It's because they fall into undocumented <laughs> caves. Like, legit. <laughs> They're everywhere. No, I yeah. They are everywhere. And, like, people will go missing in the middle, like, of the woods and shit. And in the middle of the mountains. Because there are undocumented caves everywhere with small entrances that are really easy to miss. Mm-hmm. And you just, whoop, gone. Yeah. It's like, hey, there's a reason you're supposed to stay on certain yeah, hiking trails. Obviously. And there's a reason that you're supposed to have, like, a walking stick that you can stab the ground in front of you with. This doesn't just go for when you're in deep snow that's on top of ice and you're trying to make sure you don't fall into an ice hole. No, this goes for the woods, mm-hmm. too, my dudes. You could mm-hmm. fall into a cave mm-hmm. and no one would find you. Yep. Make sure... If you go hiking and you know you're going to be somewhere with caves, take a flare and hope that you can shoot it out of the hole. Can you tell Izzy and I grew up around or the wild? Or bring something that makes a really loud fucking noise. <laughs> Good old air horn. Yeah. <laughs> air horn or just something that you can turn on and it will keep making noise. Um, mm-hmm. It will... There's also, like, there's actually several apps now for your phone that just straight up use any satellite they yes. can to let people know where you are. Um, my mom uses it to keep track of my of, of our my brother-in-law because, like, he likes to just go bug off into the mountains <laughs> sometimes to walk around. Is he aware fishing. that that's on and his like, phone? There was one. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, yes, he okay. is. Yes, yes. No, he is aware of it. Like, he, I think he was the one who actually found that app because, like, mom was like, hey, like, you're married to my daughter and sometimes you just go buck off into the mountains. Could you please give us a way to make sure you're still alive? Um, like, literally one day he, he hiked, like, halfway across a mountain, called my dad and was like, hey, I kind of overestimated how far this was. Could you come pick me up? And he ended up hiking something like 10 miles across a mountain range, nearly killed his dog and himself. And dad was like, don't Buddy. do that again. Buddy, see, yeah. I don't go hiking in the middle of the woods around here because that's a dangerous. There's places I can go, but it's not. Yeah. It's it's not so bad up here, but you know, still, you got to be careful. <laughs> so, anyway, ta- yeah, that cave's scary. Cave scary. Um, Malkaris asks if his kingdom is ready, and Nadaz admits, "No, it is not. Slaves are dying, and they cannot work efficiently." He asks if there are more prisoners, to which Nadaz says no. He asks if any of the long tails have been caught. Again, Nadaz says no. None will brave the pine forest. And then Nadaz is told to watch for the masked fox, who has been gone for two seasons. Until then, work the remaining slaves harder. As the rats leave, we hear the sound of forced labor and the cries of the trapped and enslaved creatures below. does a very good job of setting this place up as like ominous this is a bad yeah. and place. then we don't see anything else of that place for the rest of this part of the book it's just like hey would you yeah. like this bit of foreshadowing <laughs> i'm taking it away now <laughs> yeah 
Okay, but but that's good though. Like we've we've got just enough to know that the place these kids are being taken to is bad, and then like like Slagar and like some of his other crew kind of fill it in, sort of with like you know like where you're going, it'll be worse than hell and stuff like that. God. Sorry, I'm itching my face. Thanks. How dare you? So That's we okay. cut back to the Abbey. Uh, Matthias, well-rested and feeling much more cheerful, emerges to watch sporting events with his old friends, John, Abbott, Basil, and Ambrose. One such event is a greased pole with crystallized fruits on the top. One young mole named uh, Gilly makes a brave attempt, but can only get halfway up. Sam catches his opportunity using a passing Constance as a springboard to grab the sweets. And they're like, is that legal? Well, there's nothing against it. And he shares it of uh, the the uh, the prize with uh, with Jilly, who defends the action. Like, yeah, there's nothing in the rules against it. Tess charges. It's it's very cute. Like the whole interaction is cute. Like Constance is just like, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> And it's show it's a show of good sportsmanship too. It's 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 very, very much cute. so. And the fact that like immediately he shares it yeah. with the others too. Tess charges by, followed by several others in a foot race around the grounds. Like she is ahead. Uh John is quite proud of his daughter's speed. Maddie appears with a crown of dripping wet duckweed, declaring the otter said he won. <laughs> Three laps around the pond on a log. He's advised to let the duckweed dry, but Basil says, Nay, spoils of war, wear it with pride. Tim and obviously, like, it's probably a hot summer yeah, day, too, but, so it probably feels yeah, good. But also when it dries, it's gonna just be crusty. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think he That's cares? Fair. He's a kid. Tim returns with a little baby Rolo, who has a small paper kite as a prize from the sack race. And a mouthful of a sly this. verse he'd composed from overhearing Basil's drinking songs. And Basil <laughs> gleefully encourages him to sing it. See, this is the Basil that I like. Like the mischievous older, like the mischievous uncle. And then his, is the, <laughs> it's real good. And then his mother appears to scold Basil, who is just like, oop, gotta go. Do, do, do. Yeah, like, he just takes off up the ramparts, like, nope. And <laughs> sweeping up her child, she warns him not to sing, and so promptly he composes another verse. <laughs> and then it's very good. It's like, so funny. I very much enjoy, I enjoy this entire it's chapter. Cute. It's very it's good. Cute. Basil returns, compliments little Vol's talents under his breath, and soon a choir of mice summons everyone to the table for the feast. Oh boy, Okay. <laughs> I put in the notes here, deep breath. <laughs> okay, so. I- I'm sorry, I forgot to put down the page no, that it. the feast was on. Like, I started doing You're this good. in later notes, but. Eight long trestle tables had been laid in a sprawling octagon covered in the finest white linen overlaid with pastel-hued mats of woven rushes. Intricate flower arrangements trailed night-scented stock, rose- roses, pansies, king cups, jasmine, lupins, and ferns at the junction of each table. uh, Places were set out and named in neatly printed small scrolls, each of which doubled as a napkin. Bowls of hot-scented flower waters steamed fragrantly, awaiting the advent of sticky paws. There was no top table or concession to rank, and the humblest sat alongside the greatest. Squirrels rubbed paws with mice, otters rubbed tails with voles, and moles tried not to rub shoulders with hedgehogs. Everything was perfect, except for the food. 
That was beyond mere words. Okay, quick pause. I did put a little note, like, they they, they all sit to mix together regardless of station. And I put the question in, like, what kind of class hierarchy would we see in this world? Like, the abbot is clearly the leader, but there's no nobles. There's, like, no nobility, no kings. And, it's, and it's, Izzy makes a good point. Yeah, it's the elders of, mix. like, it would go elders and then, like, uh, members of the order and then adults and then children. So you would have the abbot at the head of the table, Constance, Matthias, formal, skipper, etc. There's no skipper that's been mentioned yet, but, you know, you'd have the leaders of each of the groups and, like, the leaders yeah. of the abbey, like, Friar Hugo would be there as well. The recorder would be there. Like, everybody who has a, like, named rank like that mm -hmm. would be at the head of the table. Then you'd have yeah. the brothers and sisters of the Order of Redwall and then the other adults yeah. and then the children. And the babies and dibbins would be with their parents. Like, the baby right. babies. But they've done away with that. Yeah, they're now, just like, so. no. Alright. Salads of 12 different types, ranging from beetroot to radish, right through many varieties of lettuce, including uh, of lettuce and including fennel, dandelion, tomato, young onion, carrot, leek, corn, every sort of vegetable imaginable, cut, shredded, diced, or whole. These were backed up with cheeses arranged in wedge patterns of red, yellow, and white, studded with nuts, herbs, and apple. Loaves were everywhere, small brown cobs with seeds on top, long white batons with glazed crusts, early harvest loaves shaped like corn stooks, tea bread, nut bread, spice bread, and soft flour bread for infants. The drinks were set out in pitchers and ewers, some in open bowls with floating mint leaves, October ale, fresh milk, blackcurrant wine, strawberry cordial, nut brown beer, raspberry fizz, elderberry wine, damson juice, herb tea, and cold cider. Then there were the cakes, tarts, jellies and sweets, raspberry muffins, blueberry scones, red currant jelly, abbot's cake, fruit cake, iced cake, shortbread biscuits, almond wafers, fresh cream, sweet cream, whipped cream, pork cream, honey cream, custardy cream, oh, I'm so <laughs> Mrs. Churchhouse's bell tower pudding, Mrs. Bankful's six layer trifle, cornflowers, gatehouse gateau, 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 uh, I think gateau? it's gateau, I think it's actually supposed to be gateau, I mean it's French, um, yeah, Sister French, Rose's so... sweet mellow, sweet meadow custard with honey glazed pears. Brother Rufus's wild grape woodland pie with, uh, with uh, quince and hazelnut sauce. To name but a few. <laughs> the rule was to start with what you liked and finish when you felt like. Nothing was stinted, and everyone was to make sure that their neighbors either side of them enjoyed everything. And then we get this very cute like little bits of everybody like, here, try this, try this, try this thing I just made. Try this. Have you had any of this yet? Oh, you have to try this. Here, have some of this. Da -da 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 -da. It's such yeah. a good fucking the way that Brian writes these feasts. Reading this last night, I was like, I've already eaten. I'm hungry again. <laughs> I I'm Mexican hungry now. Like you reading that. Out Ugh, lucky. <laughs> We tried a new place. Really good. It's one of those like Mexican places where like middle of the road pricing. So like it's not cheap. It's not expensive. Middle of the mm. road and you get a shit ton of food. Like they those are. are the best kinds though because usually they're family yes. run too. Like for some context for the people who don't know uh, I live in a small town. We've got two Mexican places. One is run by a uh, Indian family and what? they own like a chain of like yeah yeah they own the hotel room and then they just like hired some mexicans to work there okay um 
And then the other one is owned by a Mexican family and they've got really good food, but they're our neighbors and we don't get along with them because they don't keep their animals in their yard. And there have been incidents in the past. So it's like, we can't eat there anymore. <laughs> so I haven't had good Mexican food in Rip over and a rest. year. I'm dying. I'm dying. Rip and rest. <laughs> Rip and rest. But okay. <laughs> so much food. This is so much food. I made a note like this sure is a list. Holy shit. <laughs> It is. Like, Brian had a lot of fun with this so one. So much food. And then Kit forgot that pectin existed. <laughs> okay, now, I think what happened was is that when they said jellies, I was imagining, like, a jello-style jelly, like gelatin. I I couldn't remember if you could make, like, that kind of jello with pectin, because I know you can make, like, jams and preserves I think you it, can if you add but... enough of it. You you can also do it if you have agar-agar. I forgot that agar-agar existed. Um, and then That's there, true, yeah. There's... But I don't think yeah. they have that uh, But there is fish law. gelatin, which does make a gelatin. It makes jello. Mm-hmm. You can make jello. It'll be a little cloudy. You're not gonna get a clear yeah. jelly, like a crystal. But but they're no. not going to know any different. And they definitely have enough fish to do that with. So, like, I think the fish... Fish um, and pectin are going to be the sense. two that they're going to yeah. use. Yeah. They have enough fruits for it. Did they ever mention having... No, they have enough fish. Yeah. Did they ever mention having lemons? I don't know. Wait, you yeah. don't need lemons for anyway. pectin! No, you don't. Like, I'm sorry, but, like, that's what my brain goes to. Because, like, I think my, my family used to make jelly a lot. Like, um, like pomegranate Ooh. jelly. Um... Yeah, like we had a pomegranate tree uh, for years. Um, the secret was it was po- it was planted right over the septic tank, so it had a lot of good fertilizer. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking amazing. Or not septic? Not, not I'm sorry, not septic tank, but like the leach uh, fields, yes. you know. Um, but um, but the the pectin that we got, I always remember it saying something about like it being derived from yeah. lemon. When I'd ever check it, so that's like my brain always associates pectin with lemon. You can get pectin from any fruit. That's how, like, when you boil yeah. fruit down to make jelly with it, like, and jams mm-hmm. and stuff, like, the pectin that's naturally in the fruit is what's going to cause that to happen. Uh, that's how you can yeah. get good pear jelly, good apple jelly, etc. Oh my god, I'm so hungry. We need to move on, please. <laughs> if we need to take a break to eat, we can. Um, no, I'm not. It's just like, I'm like, food. I anyway. want to eat my leftovers so bad. <gasps> Everyone tucks in, and of course, Basil goes absolutely shamelessly wild. Like, he's just got... Like, granted, this is a feast. This is where he's allowed to do this. So, like, I don't feel mm-hmm. weird about it. He's just got this pile of food that is taller than his ears. And every time they can start seeing his ears over the top of it, like, more food appears. And he's just eating as fast as possible, making disgusting eating noises that have been... Uh, put into onomatopoeia form in the book and I'm not reading them out loud. It's gross. Brian, Brian was having a lot of fun with this <laughs> really The eating you is only paused so that Friar Hugo can bring out the fish and the abbot says a prayer over it. Hugo proudly explains the, the cooking process. This is carp capital. Uh, he ignores Basil's <laughs> offer of help. Like, Friar Hugo got this thing on the table by himself. This thing is huge. The abbot praises that he immediately says, like, I don't even have to taste this fish. It smells and looks amazing. I declare this fish fucking amazing. Um, and Basil mm-hmm. has 
four portions of the fish claiming otter in his family tree. The mood remains cheerful as people begin saying toasts. And the feast carries on merrily until there's a knock at the gate. Slagger has arrived. I made a comment about the art in the book that keeps happening despite the fact that Slagger is described as the mask completely covering his whole face. Like, over his mouth mm-hmm. and nose and everything. They keep drawing him with, like, a little, ma- like, his muzzle sticking out. Like, you can see the end of it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this doesn't show how horrifying it is to just see two eyes, and then as a person breathes, the mask breathe in and breathe out with them. That's horrifying to, to look which at. I, to which I very snarkly, though, like, the fact about, like, the mask <laughs> covering his entire mouth. I, I put hashtag Honestly, relatable. At this point. <laughs> because... <laughs> At this point, yeah. So, but unfortunately for Slagger, the feast is way too loud and boisterous. He's been knocking hard for a while on the front door. His paw is numb. He listens when Wartclaw tells him it's pointless. They need to find another way. So, he has the band, grabs some instruments, and has the one sorry fellow who had been in a traveling show before he joined the slavers sing the tune of the traveling entertainers. Tragically, he only knows the first verse, so they just sing it over and over again. And I kind of want to know what happened to this dude's troop. Probably died. Probably. So it takes a few shambly verses, but it does catch the attention of the Redwallers, who come to investigate. Slagger hides so that he can make a grand entrance, to which Kit and I both made the same Megamind joke. Oh, you're a villain, all right. Just not a super one. Oh, yeah? What makes a super villain? Presentation! Presentation! (laughs) Megamind's a good movie and everyone should watch it. Anyway. Matthias, Constance, and Ambrose Spike have come out to inspect this crew of entertainers. Ambrose is keen to send them on their way because, as we've seen, the entire time Ambrose has ever been on screen around Vermin, he doesn't like them. At all. I mean, to be fair, the experiences he has had in the past... But Constance, who has also had bad experiences, hushes him and has Matthias do the talking. Yeah. You can tell she's uneasy, yeah. too, though. Like, like she's not going straight on, like, get them out of here, but she's just, like, careful. Yeah. Like, be careful. They're all uneasy around vermin in general because, you know, they have had traumatizing experiences around them. But they are, there is some growth here where they are hearing them out and listening to them and, like, trying to gauge whether or not they will harm the people in the abbey. Mm-hmm. Taking his chance, Slagger jumps out from where he has hidden on the top of the cart in his persona of Stellar Lunaris, selling his band as a troop of cheerful entertainers and nothing more. Constance is still still wary, scanning for anyone trying to hide, like, she's checking the ditches and things. She doesn't spot anything. Ambrose demands to know how much it will cost. And Slagger says, just food, drink, and a safe place to sleep. And if it will make them feel better, they will sleep out on the grass. And I do make a little noit here, no, note, noit. Noit. note here, note noit. here, that it's it's interesting that he asks, like, how much is this going to cost us? And it's kind of like, we, we never see them mentioning, like, they talk about, oh, we're going to be rich. Oh, we're going to be this, that, or the other. It's like, yeah, but, like, no one ever mentions coinage. No one ever mentions, like, 
what they're going to be rich in. Like, are they going to get gold objects? Or are they going to get, like, in, in the first book, they mentioned them having, like, the earrings, which is how, like, a lot of, like, ragtag bands did keep their wealth. You would melt the metal down, turn it into earrings or rings, and it was much easier to keep track of. But part of me is just like, where are they going to, like, what kind of wealth are we talking about here? What is the cost? Like, what is the currency of this world? Is it bartering? Is it trade? Just, I know it's nothing that Brian's going to answer, but, like, my world-building loving heart is just like, oh, I think no. it really depends on Lisa, where they, I want some more. <laughs> I think it depends on where they are in the world as well. Because, yeah, mm-hmm. like, with a lot of the pirates, the pirates deal in treasure, right? They right. deal in treasure. Redwallers seem to deal in food and skill. Yeah. Like carved yeah. objects or woven objects, books, yeah. things but like that. Stuff that takes a lot of they dexterity. They also have a system where if somebody needs something and someone else has it, they just, you can have this. There's no expectation. Mm-hmm. But they are also aware mm-hmm. that not every, like, people from outside the Abbey don't work like that. Which is why okay. Ambrose asks, what's it going to cost? Because depending on where these people are from, it could cost something that they don't have. And they'll have to barter for mm-hmm. it, you know? So mm-hmm. it could have exactly. been, they could have asked for something completely fucking outrageous. And then they would have had to, you know, barter yeah. down from there. But Slagger goes mm-hmm. the smart route, asking just to partake in food, some water, a safe place to sleep. Which, again, for entertainers of this sort that he's basing them off of, that was, a lot of the time, all that they asked for or, or yeah. wanted. Like, just someplace safe and a full and belly. And a lot of the times, if they did well, they'd get more. You know, they'd get food, they'd get sent on their mm-hmm. way with food, drink, maybe some other things, stuff like that. Yeah. Exactly. Matthias pulls them all back in to discuss. They get in their little huddle. Constance is hesitant. Matthias is sure they can handle the ragtag bunch. And Ambrose doesn't say much either way. Now, when the children who have come out to investigate spot the troop, they begin chanting to see the show. Vich is also egging them on. Basil says to let them in as long as they don't pull rabbits out of hats. <laughs> So the group is let in amidst the cheers of the children. And I make a snarky comment here about Basil. It's like, sir, you are a hare, not a rabbit. Also, the implication that stage magicians exist in this world kind of oh, delights yeah. I me. I fucking love the idea that they're stage magicians. Oh, man. It is so good. Um, so they pat down the performers to make sure that they don't have any, you know, weapons and Slagger laments the lack of trust in this day and age. They're like, yes, we know, we're sorry. The abbot politely offers them food and drink, playing up being touched by his kindness. Slagger promises a special show, and when no one is looking, takes a slip of paper from Vich. Mm-hmm. After the feast, the show begins. The vermin generally making fools of themselves, juggling, pulling pranks on each other. Slagger is dancing across the tables, giving out paper butterflies that could flutter and fly like real ones, and carefully dropping powder into every drink he passes. And Kit had a comment about, like, of course he knows how to make a sleeping draught, like his mother taught him. And yeah, that makes total sense that he would have learned how to do this from Sella. We actually later on get some more about how he learned, he knows what Sella knew. Yeah. And, and like, 
I, I pondered like, this is like a really good little bit of foreshadowing, like helping us figure out more of like who this fox might be for the fact that he knows how to do this, that he knows how to make these, um, these concoctions, these, this kind of sleeping draft like this. Um, and just, I like this little moment. It's a very, it's showing again, like him using his while, like they've got them, everyone completely entrusting them by now and interesting, completely trusting them yeah. by now. And so once he like has gotten, like he's made sure he's gotten everybody's drinks, he goes to the roasting pits that are in the, the front and causes the fire to leap high and turn green by throwing powder into it. Obviously a different mm -hmm. powder. Which you can still do yes. nowadays. Uh, there's a specific type of salt of... you can yeah. get that will turn fire mm -hmm. green. Um, and there's yep. other different things, uh, different powders and things that you can throw on the fires that will change the colors. Um, I yeah. um, Different types of metal, yes. I think. Certain metal. I tried to, when it was my birthday and I was at my mom's and we had the big bonfire, I tried throwing table salt on the fire and it kind of worked. But it also didn't. Table salt only kind of changes the color a little bit. It's not... Sh it's been too processed, basically. You want, like, sea salt. Mm -hmm. Because if you mm -hmm. burn driftwood, it burns green. It's great. With yes. everyone's eyes on him, he reveals he knows much of the Red Wallers. Ambrose, Basil, Letty, and... And that before he tells his tale, they need to toast the two who caught the fine carp they'd all shared that night. And so they do. And everybody takes a drink. And taking off his cloak, Slagger begins to swirl it and chant. And everyone and Matameo are all caught in its spell. And soon they're all asleep, happy, and content. Because, like, he's using it to mesmerize them so that the sleeping draught takes faster. But he's, like, before he does that, like, he's leaping around and, like, saying things about people in the Abbey that he shouldn't know so that they believe that he's magic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just, I do find it interesting that, like, that's one of the ways he chooses to brag is, like, you know, like, oh, I know about you, Lady Bankful, and you, and you, and, like, in retrospect, it does make it more ominous, like, the fact that he does know these things. And then... The Redwallers awaken the next day, caught in a rainstorm, and baby Rolo screaming for his mama to wake up. Matthias and Constance groggily begin to herd everyone inside, till they spot baby Rolo crying for his mother over by the north gate. Head cleared by the rain, Matthias calls to Cornflower to get Rolo inside, while they check to see why his mother won't waken. They find she's been murdered. And Matthias catches on right away that they'd been duped. John Churchmouse appears, cut from ear to ear, but alive. Deeply in shock, he mutters about getting them back. And where is Hugo? Constance scoops him up in one hand and tells the others she will get him inside and they should look for Friar Hugo. He's nowhere within the abbey, so Matthias, Winifred, and Basil go outside to search. And Basil finds the cook dead and cold in the rain. Weeping, he requests permission to carry him back to Redwall, and Matthias grants it. He remains outside in the rain, while Basil and Winifred take the sad burden back inside. It's such a very good, sharp change really of tone. Is. Like, we go from this joyous feast to all of a sudden, like, everything has gone wrong. Yeah, it is. And this is chapter 11. 
We are in chapter 11. This is much earlier in the book than in the, the other two we've read, where it is just tonally shifted so dramatically. And they just, they really do a good job of selling this pain here. Like the, the, the shock, like it is a, I, I, like we mentioned a little gray storm. It's raining. It is yes. pouring. They can hardly see anything. They can't find any tracks. They cannot figure out what has happened. Everybody is dazed and confused. Well, they're also still suffering from yes. the effects of the potion, too, which doesn't help matters. And then they find one of their friends injured and two more dead. Yep. And the north gate open. Back in the Great Hall. Just everything has gone wrong. They go from just the best, the best joy, a great celebration to everything is wrong. Back in the Great Hall, Matthias calls for, does he call for a war council? Is that literally what he calls for? I don't know. I don't think so. I just was being, I was being hyperbolous, I think. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, it's just, like, regular council. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I just said war council because I was just being like, oh, it's yeah, a war Yeah, he takes, council. like, Abbot, the Abbot, Constance, Winifred, Jess, Warbeak, Formal, and Basil into Cavern Hole. And he tells them to rest, uh, he tells the rest to, like, stay where they are, warm up, recover. Herbal medicine is taken, mm-hmm. hot soup is prepared. They all begin to piece together what happened from what they could remember while waiting for John to recover. They suss out that it was a sleeping draught slipped to them by the fox, and how his cloak and chanting did the rest of the work of putting them to sleep. They're puzzled as to why they did it. What were they after? The abbey didn't have great riches, and what there was, the sword and tapestry, was still there. Warbeak says they must have come from the north, as they left via the little north gate. It will be hard to track them, with the rain ruining the trail, but Basil promises to try. And they go visit John in the infirmary, and he tells how he and Hugo had full cups and so refused the top off from the vermin. Because what happened is when uh, Slagger was like, we should toast, all of the other like vermin performers went around and refilled mm-hmm. everybody's drinks. Basically to make sure everyone got a real good yeah. swig. Letty had been busy with Rolo and missed the toast. Uh, the three, the only non-drugged ones, tried to stop the vermin from escaping. And what was it they were after? The children. Tim and Tess, Sam, Cynthia Bankville, and Matthias. All gone. Taken. It is terrifying how long it took them to realize that their children were gone. And I understand why. They were all still dazed, confused, assuming... Like, why would anybody take the children? It is unthinkable that somebody would take the children. It's exactly as Slagar said. They cannot comprehend his yeah. mind. They cannot comprehend the thought of stealing another one's yeah. child. Another person's child. And it takes child. them... This is assumedly, like, hours afterwards. Mm-hmm. Well, like, from having been dozed and dazed and asleep and then waking up... Woke, yeah. Woken up. It's been at least a few hours since they woke up and have started sorting everything out. Mm-hmm. And 
between finding Friar Hugo and getting everyone into the infirmary who needed Cornflower it. Cornflower tries to deny that the children have been taken, but Matthias tells her what John saw is true, and he will bring them back. And this is a... I don't... Yeah. I don't like his tone here. The way he treats her after this. Like, she is a terrified, scared mother, and his tone is very... It's harsh. It's unsympathetic. And I understand why he is so adamant that, no, what John saw was true and we shouldn't cling to something that's not true to give everybody else false hope. But it's not what Cornflower needs in this moment. Mm-hmm. Um, she needs comfort. She needs the love of her, her yeah. spouse. So... Sister May goes to tell Jess, and Mrs. Churchmouse goes to tend to John. Cornflower swears to not return to the gatehouse until Madame Mayo is back, and Matthias agrees with her. She will look after the now-orphaned Rolo. We don't know what happened to his dad. Which I put a little... Yeah, yeah, it's like, did we know what happened to his father? Is he just... The chapter ends with all of them staring out at the sad rain. Matthias sheds one single manly tear. That's how it's described! Just, like, Brian, please. Brian. God. So, now we swap to Madame Mayo. He is awoken by an itchy ear, and he is confused. His hands don't seem to be working right. Every time he lifts one, the other follows. And a sharp switch whip from Vich sends him all the way awake, and he tries to fight the small rat, only to realize he's chained. Vich begins to savagely beat him, mocking Maddie. He gets too close, though, and Maddie gives back as good as he was given. Like, he trips Vich, grabs on him, starts biting and clawing, and just absolutely tearing him. He, like, clean him. rips through his ear. Yeah, yeah, until Three Claws pulls them apart. Vich attempts to return to beating Maddie, but Three Claws stops him. He's in charge, and Slagger ordered him to keep everyone quiet until he got back. Vich is just like, Benny bit my... He's basically just like whining like, Meh. Because like, shut the fuck up. Yeah. Like, Vich is like... He's such like the, 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 the typical schoolyard bully. It's like, part of me wonders like, was like was Brian working some stuff out about a kid he had to deal <laughs> with? Like, like that's what it feels like to me. It's like, this this character feels all too familiar as like someone who was like, I didn't realize I was bullied until I got a lot older, but it's just like, oh yeah, you know? <laughs> Oh, God. So, taking stock of the situation, Maddie spots Tim and Tess, as well as Sam, chained up across from him. Calls out to them, and is scolded by Halftail. Amma introduces herself, and warns him Halftail is cruel. She also explains what's going on. They've been caught by slavers. For some reason, Slagger wanted Matameo over everyone else. And then Cynthia Bankvoll wakes up crying, and Halftail terrifies her into silence. Yeah. Like, is she said to be younger? I always figured she was the same age as them, just more spoiled. No, I do think she's younger. Um, Because the way... That's where a lot of my annoyance came from, because I thought she was their age and just spoiled. I do think, like, she's older than her baby brother, like, Rolo, obviously. But I do think that she's younger than Maddie. And Maddie is the quote-unquote, like, Youngest of the, like, brave ones. Because he's younger than Tim, Tess, and Sam. 
Tim, Tess, yeah. and Sam are all roughly the same age. I think Sam might be a little bit older than they are. I think he's older by about a year. Ish. Or a season, as yeah, they would put it. A, a half to a year-ish. Um, and Tim and Tess are yeah. older than Matameo by, I don't know, two years maybe. So Sam's older than him by like three. Yeah. And I think Cynthia's maybe just like a year or so younger. But that's still, the difference yeah. between being like six and seven or eight is a lot. Yeah. I also get the feeling that like, to an extent... Because of, like, them being mice and squirrels and stuff like that, them aging up faster is a little more understandable. Or, like, maturing faster to an extent. Because, again, like, his dad became warrior at, like, what, like, 11-ish between there, like, teenager. (laughs) So, like, him being eight years old, it's like, yeah, he's younger than his dad, but it's like, these are also mice, so maybe they just mature faster. Shrug. Yeah. So Slagger returns, cheerful even through the wet rain. He suspects the false trail he sent two of his minions northward will, uh, to that that that. I can read. He suspects okay. the false trail he sent two of his minions northward to make will work, and when asked if they don't manage to make it southward to meet up with them, oh well, bigger share for those who remain. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the Clackies are smart enough to ask questions. But too dumb to understand the answer. Brian, what the fuck? Like, it takes a minute to realize, like, oh, yeah, we'll make more money if there's fewer of us. And it's just like, "Mm." Brian, please give us a smart vermin once in a while. Well, we do get Slagar, who is smart, but, like, he's the main villain, so that's why he gets away with it. Slagar has the captives chained up and tells them how things will go. He's the boss. They're his slaves. If they try to run, he will use his bola... To essentially kill or cripple them for attempting to do so. Yeah, they 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 never name the weapon. I just want to clarify this: they never name the weapon in the book, but yeah, it's a bola. It's, it's three heavy is... metal balls on like braided rope that he swings mm-hmm. over his head, and like the balls clack together like menacingly. And it is he throws mm-hmm. it, and it wraps around like a tree. And, like, cracks the bark of the tree. Or is it a smaller tree that it cracks it clean in half? I think it cracks it clean in half. Yeah, because it's a smaller tree. Like, it's a bola. It is terrifying. Um, He uh, then orders a day and a half forced march to get as much distance between them and Redwall as possible. Um, We have another note here where Kit and I talk about how we don't enjoy slave narratives. We've already talked about this. Yeah. We don't like them. Um... The abbot and Sister Agnes stand in the pouring rain next to the roasting pit. They found the scrap of paper Vich had written, uh, and know who betrayed them to the fox. They're very angry about it. Sister Agnes- Oh, yes. Because they trusted him and yeah. let him in, and, Sister know. Agnes wishes Maddie had given the rat more of a beating when, uh, when he could, and the abbot agrees with her. Sometimes violence can be the answer when it comes to deterring wrongdoing. As they return to the abbey, they hear the bells ringing, off-tempo and with less vigor. It's Cornflower, teaching baby Rolo to ring the bells. He still doesn't know his mother is dead.
Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please be sure to follow us on Twitter at Abbey Archives. And if you'd like to read along with us, join our Discord, linked in the description below. You can also follow our parent podcast at Hope's Hearth Pod. Remember to wash your paws like good dibbins and take care of yourselves. Bye!